world of information, advice and support available 24-7. The best way to stay current with great ideas. Love and support. Uplifting and reassuring. A constant source of inspiration and positive thinking. Like a staff room without cynics. Gives you a sense of belonging. An unlimited resource. A very supportive bunch of like-minded people. The reason I'm where I am today. A source of mad sanity in the crazy world of teaching. Feel the love. You're listening to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast celebrating the voices of languages teachers from around the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the MFL Twitterati podcast, the podcast aimed at language teachers wanting to find new ways of enhancing language learning with and without the use of technology. My name is Noah Geisel, and I'm joined, as always, slash for the first time by my co-host, podcast partner, buddy in crime and change in the world, Joe Dale. Hi, Noah. How's it going? What's it feel like being on the first MFL Twitterati podcast? It feels amazing, Joe Dale. I'm really excited to do this after uh, looking forward to it for so long. Well, it's been months and months of preparation and planning, and I'm so delighted that we're finally here on day one of the recording. So let's let's jump straight in. Absolutely. Do you want to let everybody know about our radar segment? Okay, so what's been on my radar, radar um, in the last uh, couple of weeks is I've been noticing that the lovely Bex Nobes has been really pushing the MFL chat, and um, lots of people have been taking part in it. It's been, it's been running for a while now, but lots of people have been particularly taking part recently and it's going from strength to strength and also i love the way that bex has been asking different people to um to lead the chat um each week so here's bex herself describing mfl chat hi i'm bex n 91 and i'm going to talk a little bit about mfl chat mfl chat runs on wednesday evenings from 8 30 until 9 p.m uk time we run most weeks but we do tend to stop for the school holidays because they differ, we can sometimes stop for a couple of weeks at a time. We've got about 950 followers now on our at MFL chat account, and we're joined weekly by people from all different ranges of experience, from trainee teachers to heads of department, and people have gone on even further than that. We're joined by both secondary and primary teaching colleagues and people from other countries outside of the UK. In the past, our chats have included vocabulary learning, how we do it, how we test it and how important it is, teaching grammar, whether that's implicit or explicit, motivating students and the extracurricular activities we offer, what to do for European Day of Languages, the routines we intend to embed in our classrooms and teaching film and literature at A-level. Upcoming, we've got chats on the use of knowledge organisers in the classroom, engaging with research as an MFL teacher using storybooks at Gear Stage 2 and 3, and the content of the curriculum. We have a wide range of guest hosts from various different backgrounds, and it'd be really great to see more people volunteer. So I know, no, you're a big fan of Lang Chat, but have you heard of MFL Chat before? Do you know, I, I am brand new to this uh, chat. I think it's a really great idea. Something that I've long admired from across the pond is the way that hashtag MFL Twitterati has not just been, you know, this sort of weekly time chat, but really this community gathering that's 24-7, 365. And I think it's really cool now that you're able to galvanize this really strong community of hundreds and hundreds of MFL teachers every week at, at the same time. 
yeah, and having a specific theme that everyone talks about that that's known about beforehand. Bex also does a great job using Adobe Spark Post for creating little graphics to describe each question or for promoting the chat. So everyone knows that the chat's on uh, if they follow the hashtag, uh, spelling it correctly, obviously. And um, I just think that's wonderful. It's absolutely fantastic. And I'd really encourage folks to latch on to the last part that she said by stepping up and volunteering, that there's no experience required, there's no expertise implied. If you want to be involved in the community and she's offering up an opportunity like that, take her up on it because she means it. She wouldn't offer it unless she wa- she wanted you to join up, be a part of it. This is just how the we've seen these chats grow and thrive it is by providing opportunities for people to be involved in the best ways that they want to and know how. And Bex also very kindly puts together the whole chat um, using Wakelet. So it means that she you can then um, follow the whole chat all in one space. And she blogs about it as well on her, on her blog. Again, all the links will be in the show notes. But um, yeah, shout out to Bex. I think she's doing a great job in promoting uh, M- the MFL chat hashtag. Awesome. What about you? What, what's been on your radar recently? Something I've been really excited, Joe, is the big announcement that Microsoft has acquired Flipgrid and that all the amazing Flipgrid features are going to be free for all educators everywhere. And for anyone listening who's saying, Flip what? Um, Flipgrid is essentially a video and audio recording tool that allows you to collect recordings from students all in one place. And so, you know, it's almost like a chat room that gives you all of these amazing suite of tools for curating student feedback and moderating student feedback. And there's just so many different ways that people are using this in the classroom. They're really exciting. You know, one of the places my mind goes to is, you know, speaking assessments that at least in my classroom historically have been this giant colossal time suck of instructional time where I'm taking one student at a time into the hallway while pandemonium is happening inside the classroom for two or three days in a row. And Flipgrid all of a sudden gives us the ability to collect that in a really powerful and meaningful way in call it, you know, two minutes. And then I can be grading that stuff asynchronously out of class and providing students with meaningful feedback. Um, we, we've got some really great suggestions from one of our friends, Sarah Isabella Mack, um, describing how she and her students are using Flipgrid. I'm Sarah Isabella Mack, and I teach French and German in Tullamore College. We're currently using Flipgrid to boost students' spoken production outside of class time. Our students had never used Flipgrid before, but it's very, very user-friendly. Their first task on it was simply to show what they had learned about pronunciation in the target language by pronouncing five words. So, for example, hotel in French or sport in German. It was a very simple task, but it was a great way to introduce students to Flipgrid while also getting absolute beginners speaking the target language. The great thing about Flipgrid is that each topic can be moderated, meaning a teacher can choose whether students will be able to see each other's videos. You can give feedback online and you can even allow students to respond to each other's videos. I would recommend always having the moderator setting on and that if you plan for students to be able to see each other's work, make sure that you've told them in advance. We're only at the beginning of our Flipgrid journey, but most students are loving it and it will really help prepare students for classroom based assessments where they'll have to speak in front of their class. If you want to find out more about Flipgrid, follow them on Twitter. They just tweet so many ideas all the time. Or better yet, just create an educator account on Flipgrid and have a go at creating a grid and a topic and just use your fellow MFL colleagues as guinea pigs for the trial run. So thank you ever so much for um, Sarah Isabella for sharing her, her thoughts on the uh, MFL Twitterati podcast on her use of Flipgrid. 
as she said, she's just at the beginning of her journey, but she's obviously already um, started using it really nicely to promote speaking skills and to offer feedback as well. And just to pick up on your point, Noah, um, I thought it was very important to say that this is a really good solution for speaking assessment and for feedback. There are other solutions such as, you know, Google Classroom or Seesaw or Showbee. But I think I think Flipgrid, the way that it's completely free now, all the premium uh, features, uh, which you used to have to pay for, are now completely free now that Microsoft have acquired it. It just creates a whole new set of possibilities of making speaking uh, assessment easier and quicker. And also, I love the feature that you now can give uh, feedback to videos that other students have published for free. And I also like the fact that with Flipgrid recently, there's a number of different types of account you can create, and they are GDPR compatible, which is which is wonderful uh, from the point of view of making sure that the students are are safe online um, and that they they meet the requirements of the European Union with the whole new uh, regulations around e safety. I think that's really important. So yeah, Flipgrid it's it's awesome. And again, thanks to Sarah Isabella for her contribution. And I I just love the kind of student voice aspect of it. You've been seeing a lot of stuff around hashtag student voice with hashtag Flipgrid fever. And um, one of the things that I've noticed is that you can see how many times different videos have been viewed, right? And so unlike when students are sharing that feedback in those interviews with the teacher, where really the only audience is the teacher, one of the things we're seeing from a community building aspect on Flipgrid is that students actually are looking at each other's videos. And I think that that's something that can be really powerful in, in a language learning classroom. Another thing that came out of the uh, Foreign Language Association of Virginia conference a couple weeks ago, hashtag Flava 18, um, was a tweet that Angelica Goetz shared with a strategy that Janine Karam is using to create Flipgrid book clubs. So students doing free voluntary reading in the classroom. After they read a book in the classroom, they have the opportunity to go on Flipgrid and actually give a sort of quick abbreviated reflection in the target language about the book that they're reading in order to start this ongoing conversation with future students who will read that same book. And I thought that was a really awesome creative idea that everybody should beg, borrow and steal. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. And don't forget, everyone, uh, we're going to be putting all the Twitter handles of everyone in the show notes. You can check them out and, and ask some more questions about the different things that they're talking about. Um, I suppose the idea of a book club or book review in that way, it's similar to a film review, which is a sort of a classic uh, exercise that um, that students do. And um, I think that's a really, really good idea. So Absolutely, Joe. I, I love the way you relate to that. And for uh, our American listeners, the film reviews, I think, is going to be a definitely new idea for a lot of us. And that moves us nicely on, I think, to the takeaway section we're going to talk about now. This is when we talk about a tweet which particularly resonates with us. And uh, Chasing underscore Ling, or Rebecca, from the northwest of England, who's also a a PGC student at the moment, um, she tweeted something recently about the fact that she was looking for a school placement, and she asked the MFL Twitterati for help. And here's her audio. My name's Rebecca Jackson, and I'm a trainee German teacher at Manchester Metropolitan University. I've been using Twitter for many years now for professional networking and um, CPD. And of course, when I became a trainee, uh, one of my first reactions was to think, well, how do I find my people? How do I find my tribe and my network online? So I put the call out on Twitter and was told straight away to get involved in hashtag MFL Twitterati. And I did. And I was not disappointed. 
Um, it's so useful and everyone's so nice and friendly. I felt compelled last week to have to tweet already that I'm getting about 10 different CPD and teaching ideas a day. I don't know how good they all are, but it gives me something to think about, something to try and see what works for me, which is great for creative and reflective practice. So in terms of something you can do quickly and easily to improve your teaching and your promotion of languages, um, having a look at the hashtag every day is really doable. But something lovely that's happened in the last few days, and it's entirely thanks to the Twitterati community, is getting my school placement organised. I could not find a school placement owing to the decline, the sad decline of German in some areas. And it was really hard to find anywhere doing German within even a vague sort of long distance of <laughs> where I live. Um, so I put the call out again on Twitter. The Twitterati came to my aid. Somebody spoke to somebody who spoke to somebody. And I've got a fantastic placement lined up at a really forward thinking school that prioritizes um, creative educational practice and high standards for all. And that's what I'm looking for. So that would not have happened without this sort of really helpful and welcoming community. So I would really recommend, especially for new teachers as well and trainees, I really would uh, recommend that you get involved online. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think um, to me that really, it's quintessentially what the MFL Twitterati is all about. It's about the tribe that she wanted. It's about her reaching out, getting support, and in particular, the the, the the issue around the school placement. I just think that's beautiful. So that really resonated with me, Noah. What do you think? And as educational technologists and language teachers, you know, it's almost emotional to hear her talk about that, right? That it doesn't matter how much experience you have, whether you've been in this profession 17 years or you're pre-service, just getting ready to jump in, that with this, you know, PLN and, and online society that we have, we're able to engage and support each other in really powerful ways that are, you know, making a difference. And I think it's awesome. So before we get too emotional, Noah, why don't we look at your takeaway and uh, talk a little bit about a tweet that's really resonated with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Something that really popped for me recently on hashtag MFL Twitterati was a Braze Modern Link tweet about Natural Reader, which was an app I did not know about that allows you to enter text. You copy, you paste it in, or you type it, and you can select any kind of uh, voice from different languages that will then read back or recite back the text in the entire language. And we've got some audio from Braze Mod Lang to describe it. Hi there. On our at Braze Mod Lang Twitter page, we recently uploaded a video showing the benefits of using the Natural Reader app in the Modern Languages classroom. We actually use it for two purposes. Firstly, to help with reading assessments and secondly, to help improve pronunciation. With the second option, we allow students to type in any words or phrases which they find challenging. And because the app is available in different languages, they are able to listen to how the words should be pronounced. Fortunately, the languages which are available include French, German and Spanish, the three languages which we teach in the department. Pupils use earphones and they select the speed with which they want the playback to be heard. They then repeat the words which they have heard or the phrases which they have input into the app. We get them to work in pairs. We allow them to listen to one another's pronunciation as well as listening to the pronunciation from the app. It's a lot of fun in the department as well. We've been using it for over a year now 
and I'm aware that there are several other options available, but this is the one that I would recommend. There is more information available via naturalreaders.com, but I would recommend it in the classroom. Yeah, that's lovely. Now, and the great thing about that app as well is it's available on Android and on iOS. So it means that you could use it as a way of practicing pronunciation, either in class or at home as well for promoting independent learning. 100%. And for especially those of us who are not native speakers of the language that we are teaching, I think this gives us an opportunity to enrich our students' ears with different voices speaking the language, because even though they're computer voices, I mean, they sound really authentic. It's, it's pretty awesome. And anything that allows you to uh, practice yourself, I think, particularly with something like pronunciation, is just it's just a win-win, really. So I think that um, that's just wonderful. And thanks ever so much to Braze Mod Lang for sharing uh, her insights on using Natural Reader in the classroom. The MFL Twitterati podcast is brought to you by Linguiscope. Linguiscope.com is an award-winning language learning website trusted and used daily by thousands of schools worldwide. When your school subscribes to Linguiscope, students get access to a wealth of interactive activities in a dozen different languages with over 140 topics covered. The games can be played on interactive whiteboards, computers, or on tablets. There are free apps students can download on their own devices. All students and staff can log in both from school as well as from home, making it ideal for homework too. The website also contains a host of resources to make teachers' lives easier, from printable worksheets to customizable interactive games templates. If Linguiscope is new to you, then you'll feel like all of your Christmases have come at once. Teachers truly find Linguiscope.com invaluable, and you will soon notice the positive impact on your students' motivation and learning. But don't take our word for it. Visit Linguiscope.com and click on Learn More to find out what the website has to offer. We guarantee that you will fall in love with Linguiscope. Now, for those people that were paying attention earlier, you would remember that Beck Snows was talking about the European Day of Languages um, as part of one of the MFL chats that they did. And for our next section, which is the MFL Show and Tell section, for this particular episode, we're going to just focus on different ways that uh, language teachers, language departments have been celebrating the European Day of Languages around the UK. Here's Kerry Anwen talking a little bit about how they celebrated the European Day of Languages, having a bake-off at their school, Uskol Boeden, which included a celebrity. Hello, MFL Twitterati. It's um, Kerry Anwen James here, recording from Cardiff. And this year for the European Day of Languages, we had our second bake-off. For us as a department, we have brilliant feedback on this um, activity. It's the second year we've done it. It's a high-profile event for us. We have lots of coverage, um, lots of feedback on our Twitter and parental Facebook page, but it's a massively low-hassle activity for us. We create a poster, um, we um, stick it up in school, advertise it that way. I texted all parents to remind them that it was happening. And then we hold our uh, European Day of Languages always on a Monday so that the pupils get the weekend to bake. Our judge for the second year was Becca Lyne-Perkis. She was a contestant on the Bake Off in 2013. She finished fourth and she now has her own baking series on S4C, the Welsh channel, called Becos. So, so she comes in and talks to the children and adjudicates. And we had some brilliant cakes, um, lots of flags, all sorts of decoration, lots of um, stereotyping going on, of course, as well. But the children did really, really well, really colourful. We gave out lots of prizes, decoration, design, best inside. And the children all had a massive bar of Rittersport from Lidl as their prizes. Win-win. 
So as Kerry says, win-win. Now, OA Newbold underscore MFL has also been joining the cake bake fun and had a film night as well. Here she is to talk all about it. So for European Day of Languages this year, we did do a number of different activities within our school. The first thing we did was a form time quiz about languages and we recorded some different staff members from in our school either speaking a European language and the students had to guess which language they were speaking or we had some general knowledge language related questions on there. The second thing we did was I organised a European cake bake and opened that up to everybody. The brief was that you make a cake or some buns with a European theme and the winning cake actually was a Salvador Dali clocks cake which was amazing. The year seven girl had actually researched it and the colours were in the colours of the Spanish flag. It looked really, really good. We had lots of entries, but that was definitely the winning cake. And then thirdly, we did an MFL film night. So we invited everybody to come after school and we provided popcorn and snacks and they were invited to watch a European film. They actually voted for Shrek in German in the end, which wasn't a European film, but it was in German. So um, they really enjoyed that. Thank you. De Francis MFL has been using lots of ideas that he's gleaned from the MFL Twitter RT hashtag to celebrate European Day of Languages in his school. For example, he's been using the photo booth idea that lots of other people have been trying out as well. And what a great way of celebrating European Day of Languages than to take selfies in the languages department. This is De Francis MFL talking about what we did in our MFL department for our recent open evening. We ran a number of activities, a lot of which were taken from ideas seen on Twitter using the hashtag MFL Twitterati. We had a photo booth and accompanying props, which were really popular. We had food tasting sessions with snacks and chocolates from French and Spanish speaking countries. We had interactive games on mini iPads with certificates and prizes, as well as a slideshow with photos from our recent trips abroad with music playing in the background. All in all, it was a great success and we were really grateful to the hashtag MFL Twitterati for all of their ideas. Okay, Virtual 31 came up with a really interesting and innovative way of celebrating European Day of Languages by asking her students to create hot air balloons out of papier-mâché. Let's hear her talking a little bit about that. Hi, I'm Kay Birchall and at Horizon CC we love to promote the European Day of Languages. The first activity we tend to start with is getting our EL pupils to use the green screen and record themselves speaking in their second language. It really promotes the diversity we have in school and we share this with all other pupils in assemblies or form groups and they really do love seeing their fellow pupils speak in a different language. We also do a whole school competition. In previous years, we've done flags, and this year we did hot air balloons, where they had to actually include the flag design upon it. We receive fantastic entries, and it really is something they enjoy doing. We also do year group competitions. For example, this year, year seven did bunting, and year eight did menus for our canteen, because throughout the week of European Day Languages, we do do themed lunches every day from different countries. We also do a treasure hunt, whether this be hidden famous landmarks or we've hidden flags with cords on it this year. And so everybody has access to something. We do a form quiz and we break it up into different sections so that they're learning facts about European languages and they're seeing the importance of languages. For example, we look at which celebrities speak languages and teachers throughout the whole school, any facts that they have about languages. To end the week, this year we did thank you letters with Year 7 and they sent these to teachers that have really welcomed them into the school. Hope this gives you some ideas. 
Thank you. So just to finish off this EDL-themed MFL show and tell section, we have Mr. Underscore Struth talking about how they celebrated European Day of Languages over a whole Languages Week at Larbert High School up in Scotland. Hi, I'm Chris Struth, Head of Languages at Larbert High School, at Mr. Struth, Senior Struth on Twitter. And last week we celebrated Languages Week in Larbert High School. We did lots of different things, including a Languages Challenge grid, where we encouraged all pupils and staff to get involved with different things, whether that be changing the language on their phone, making a Pinterest board, trying a different food from a different country. And we got all of the pupils and staff to tweet our main languages page at LHS Languages with that. We created a video in school to show all the different languages that we have at Larbert High. We had a tanner competition where pupils had to bring a particular item to a particular location and each day we changed the language of instruction. Pupils really enjoyed that. We had a movie night for our cluster primary schools and first years where we came together to enjoy a Spanish film. We had language taster sessions for staff, a different language each evening. We put on a concert at lunchtime for all pupils to enjoy and there was a real buzz about that. We had a coffee morning for staff on break time where secondary people served staff in French. We invited our language ambassadors to visit our primary schools to deliver Wi-Learn languages lessons. And we also really encouraged other faculties in the school to be bringing in languages to their lessons. So, for example, Media made some fantastic videos about languages and computing used their coding and programming skills to make French verb conjugators. There's been a real buzz about languages this week. And if you want to find out more, you can have a really on Twitter. Thank you. Thanks ever so much to all the MFL Twitterati participants in that little bit of audio. Hopefully that's given everyone lots of ideas on how they can celebrate European Day of Languages next year. No, I just wanted to ask you before we move on to the next section, is European Day of Languages something which is celebrated in the States or have you heard about it before? I've heard about it only through the MFL Twitterati community. It's something that I really admire from afar for two main reasons. One is that I think it's just really special the way that teachers in, in throughout Europe are engaging language learners in just a celebration of language learning and the, you know, some of what we heard with the hot air balloons, the, the, the Salvador Dali cake. And these are things that students, when they reflect back and remember things 20 and 30 years from now that they're going to remember from their school days, you know, and, and I think that's really special. The other thing that I really like about it is just the advocacy piece, right? That we are telling as language uh, instructors our stories, because if we don't tell them, Somebody else is telling them for us, and it may not be the narrative we want. And so it's just really powerful advocacy for us to be promoting the not just a love of language learning, but the importance of studying language and culture. I think it's also important to state as well that EDL for lots of people, because it is on the 26th of September, and lots of schools in, in England, Wales and Northern Ireland will start back at the beginning of September. I know in Scotland they start a little bit earlier than that. It can be a real challenge to get everything sorted and ready for European Day of Languages. So again, a big thank you to the MFL Twizzerati for sharing their stories and for celebrating EDL in such a whole variety of different interesting ways. Yeah, tip of the hat. So moving on to the, the, the main feature of our podcast, we have the Tech Talk interview. Noah, do you want to introduce that for us now for our listeners? For this episode's Tech Talk interview, Joe and I had the pleasure of interviewing Rachel Smith. Everyone can and should follow her at Rach on Twitter. And some highlights of this, we're really just diving into the impact and 
support that she's gotten from the NFL Twitterati community, as well as the Apple Distinguished Educator community. We also get to hear her share really innovative and specific strategies and practices that she's used with technology in the language learning classroom, especially with regard to iPads. Awesome. Here's the amazing Lanks Lasserage. So, Rachel, thank you so much for agreeing to take part in this first MFL Twitterati Tech Talk interview. I really appreciate your time. Could you maybe just start off by giving us a little bit of background about yourself, where you teach, how long you've been teaching, those sorts of things. That would be lovely. Okay. um, I've been teaching for about 21 years. I obviously teach languages. At university, I did French and German, but actually currently I teach French and Spanish um, at a secondary school on the Isle of Man, which is located between Northwest England and Northern Ireland. Um, most people confuse it with where you live, Joe, which is the Isle of Wight, of course. And uh, I'm an Apple Distinguished Educator, and um, I suppose I'd like to use tech in the classroom. Awesome. Now, you've certainly been a stalwart of the MFL Twitterati, I would say, for quite a few years. And so I think it would be really interesting, as this is the MFL Twitterati podcast, for us to talk a little bit about how you feel being a member of that community has had an impact on you, your use of technology in the classroom and on your students. Oh, well, that's quite an interesting, um, that's quite an interesting story, really, because... When I moved to the island, I'd, I'd just had a, a baby. So I, was, I had a one-year-old and I'd come back into the classroom um, on a part-time basis with no management points. And I found that my, my teaching was quite dull. I just, you know, it had gone nowhere. Um, and I was considering giving up teaching and um, I was finding life quite difficult. And I actually happened to pick up the TES one day and saw, um, I think, an article that possibly you had written, but certainly your name was mentioned, and the, as was the MFL Twitterati. So... At that point, I joined Twitter and I joined the MFL Twitterati and then started picking up tips and hints of things that people were doing in their classroom. About the same time, somebody gave me an iPad and said, oh, actually, we need you to test this in a secondary school setting. Can you have a go with that? And and so I did. And I supposed it saved my career. Um, It made me a significantly better teacher than I I was prior to, to joining Twitter and meeting either online or in real life, members of the, the Twitterati. I think what I like about it is that they're an extremely generous bunch of people who will always share, um, incredibly non-judgmental and friendly. You sometimes think that you're very alone in the classroom. In fact, you are, aren't you? The only adult often in the room. And to be able to turn to other people who understand that situation and can help you out is a really huge bonus, both socially and in your work life. So yes, they've been they've been huge. The, the MFL Twitterati has been a, a, a huge element of certainly the latter stages of my career. You know, Rachel, what people are hearing you you know talk right there, I'm guessing that just like me and Joe, they are furiously nodding along with everything you're saying about the importance of community and just how as connected educators, we're able to lean on each other in these supportive ways that not only make us better in the moment, but keep us excited in just in the profession. And in, in addition to the MFL Twitterati, you know, you, you mentioned in the intro that you were uh, Apple Distinguished Educator. How has being part of that community influenced your practices? Well, again, there are another bunch of people who are very, very generous uh, and willing to share. And they're hugely, hugely, hugely innovative. The people, there are some people who are in the ADE community who are just massively inspirational. They do things that I can't even begin to imagine how they got there, do you, if you understand me. And, and because of that, I think it always helps you to examine your own practice. What more could I be doing? How could I be making this task that can maybe seemingly be dull, either more interesting or more easily accessible? And you're always inspired by people who do things that you think, I suppose, are impossible, but clearly they aren't because others do it. And then they push you to, to be a better version of yourself in the classroom, I think. 
Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that's one of the great benefits of being part of a community like the MFL Twitter RT community or the ADE community in the way that you do get that constant challenge and support. So you're inspired by different examples that people share and you can discuss and chat with those people about how you can make yours or their ideas better. So you might have a kernel of an idea, for example, but through discussion, it can be made better. And I think that's absolutely wonderful. In fact, it makes me think of the Southampton University lecturer Alicia Plutino, who gave a talk at last year's Eurocoll conference, where she talked about Vygotsky's term of the more knowledgeable other, or MKO, in reference to the Twitter. So the idea is that the more knowledgeable person is in fact your Twitter community, who can support you and help you in your own professional development. And I just really love that idea. It really resonates with me. And I think that's what you're saying, I think, in a way. Yeah, I think it is. And I think sometimes you are that other person to somebody else and sometimes somebody is that that other person to you. Uh, and that's the beauty of a community, really. I, I think the, the interesting thing about both the MFL Twitterati and the ADE community is that it brings together people from different countries. So what you start to realise is that you're all in the same boat, but actually that different cultural aspect of teaching and learning or maybe how the Finns teach or how the Americans teach, that starts to influence how you teach. And I think that's really interesting. That's, a, that's a, an interesting thing. If you're not in these kind of international communities, and you, then you're missing out on that little bit, um, which actually is quite a big bit, really. Rachel, you know, one of the things that I love about just your sharing on, on Twitter and in the you know, MFL Twitterati is your use of creativity with the technology, that, that it's not just about the technology skills, it's about engaging kids and getting them to fall in love with the language and the culture. And you know, one of the things that I noticed is you really seem to hook kids a lot on you know, both falling in love with the language and on the presentational communication skills. And so wondering if you could just kind of share right now in 2018, what's really exciting for you on, on you know, using technology in a language classroom? Well, on the creativity front, I think learning a language is actually a massively creative thing. And the ability to be able to sit down with somebody in their own country or, or your, your own country and have a chat with them in their own language is, is a hugely, it's a wonderful thing. And you have to be massively creative to be able to do it in actual fact, because you may not know a word and you're going to have to try and think your way around how you're going to express yourself. So using creativity in the classroom is really important because you want to try and teach children certain elements of creativity. I'm a big fan of teaching speaking and doing a lot of speech in class. So things that I'm loving at the moment, I'm absolutely loving um, clips. I think it's dead straightforward to use, really easy to make very beautiful looking short videos that show off how kids, how well kids can speak in a foreign language. Um, and it allows them to put a little bit of themselves into that so they can use the stickers and they can use the filters, but they can end up with something that looks good at the end, something that they can be proud of. I'm also enjoying using the drawing features in Keynote, which came out recently in iWorks. Um, we, last week, we did a really nice activity with the uh, year seven kids in my school. So th those children, the children who've just joined secondary school, so they're like 11 years old. Um, so they're just learning how to say their name and spell their name. And so we drew the, they drew the, a portrait of themselves and they animated it in line draw and then they drew out their name and spelt their name and tried to get everything working together, you know, the sound and as the pen moved across the screen. So that was a lovely little activity, There's, um, which, which actually they're all super proud of those, you know. Those have gone on our school website and everybody's, oh, mum, look at what I did in French today, you know. And that, and that really does, like, just like you've smiled there, it really makes me smile, that, that, that joy that they have, that they've produced something that they're really proud of. 
So those are two things that I use an awful lot in class. I use clips an awful lot and, and I use Keynote a lot. Um, and actually since we've, um, we've had the ability to record in Keynote pages and, and numbers, I mean, that, that's been a, a real boon to the, the language teacher with an iPad because they, you, you can just pick up those three apps and, and use them for a multitude of things. Animation, you know, you can make a simple speaking worksheet in, in numbers. You can make books in pages. You, you know, already you've got a massive amount of creativity in just those three apps that you can exploit. Yes, one of my favourite moments of this week was during the Apple ADE chat on the use of iPads in modern foreign language lessons when you said that when the new iWorks updates came out um, and that you could now record audio into keynote pages, numbers and notes, that you did a little dance of joy, I think you said. Yeah, I did, yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> yes, absolutely fantastic. So what would be really cool now, I think, is if we were to drill down and more into some more practical examples of how you've been using iPads in the classroom. For example, I remember two years ago, you did an amazing collaborative project with Rosie Colster from the UAE or Muscat Mama, she's known on Twitter. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? How you use Google Street View with Story Spheres to create a collaborative ebook, so you could then share a little bit about your life on the Isle of Man with the students in the UAE. Uh, yeah, that was a lovely um, little project that we got involved with. Uh, Rosie came to the Isle of Man um, about two or three years ago and, and worked with me in the classroom. And when she went back home, we decided we would do a, a collaborative project, which was using Book Creator in actual fact. And what my students did was they used Google Street View. And they took their iPads and they made 360 photographs of different areas of school and different areas of the, of the town that our school was in. Um, and we then uploaded those to uh, StorySphere's. I think that's StorySphere's.com, I think. And you can upload your 360 photo from there. Um, and also you can add some audio to that 360 photo when it's in StorySphere's. We then took the link from that and put it into the book creator and linked that to a photograph. So it would be a photograph of town. And when you press the photo, the, the 360 link came up uh, along with the audio of the, of I can't remember what the children were saying, but probably, you know, here's the harbour, here's the, here's the beach. Um, it's so many miles long, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, they, they did some writing so that they could describe their town, describe their school, where it was. Uh, and we put those all together, we published those and we, we sent them over to, to Rosie and her kids replied and they sent us some books about Oman um, and they did it slightly differently actually, they used green screen, so they green screened themselves in front of different areas of Muscat and Oman and they provided uh, a little description of that particular area of their country or that particular area of their school. It were, and, and actually when the kids, I've got videos of the kids opening each other's books and just that moment when they're like, oh, it's just, oh, it's amazing. Wow, look, it's a desert, miss. They had no idea because they had no idea where Oman was anyway. And, and just that moment where they're like, oh my goodness, is it hot all the time? They, what do they wear for school? Is it hot in the classroom? And they had eventually, they had this whole, there was this whole cultural moment when it was, you know, their, their eyes were open to that world. that They'd never really thought about that before in their lives. Um, and when you live on an island, the ability to be able to show kids different bits of the world so easily like that is really, really, really important. And equally, from Rosie's point of view, her kids were like, well, well they live there. Like, it's tiny. It's in the middle of the sea. Well, what do they do? Where do they go? How, how do they get anywhere? Do they have buses? <laughs> you know, and so on and so forth. So, yes, it was a, it was a lovely cultural activity and actually the, the beauty about it was is that we weren't switching books with people who were French 
we were we were exchanging with other people who were learning the language at the same level that we were learning our language. So sometimes I think when you try and um, exchange with a, somebody who speaks the language really, really well, it can be quite difficult for the children to, to communicate. But because they were both at the same level um, of learning, it was just nice. They could understand each other's books straight away. They could understand what the kids were saying. You know, they got it. That was just, it was a lovely project to do that. I really enjoyed it. Yes, that's really amazing. What I loved about it was it was a very practical way of using virtual reality, but in a way that can be replicated easily by other people who have the same technology, e.g. Uh, an iPad or if you had an Android device, that would work on that as well because you're just using the Google Street View app plus uh, the website StorySphere's. It's really just a question of using those free tools for you to replicate the project, which I just thought was great because I think a lot of virtual reality ideas in the context of language learning can feel a bit gimmicky. I don't know if Noah agrees, but I thought your example was really practical and seemed to work and make a big difference in the lives of your students and Rosie's students. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the fact that you can actually pick up your iPad and stand there and that in, in Oman, they could stand there, look at our 360 pictures and get a real understanding of what our town looked like, what the harbour looked like with the fishing boats in, you know, how close to the sea we were, all of those things. You, you don't get that in a flat picture necessarily. So it is, it is nice. And you don't get the perfect 360 picture in um, Google Street View, but it, it's good enough, you know, for, for that kind of project. You know, you'll get, a really, you'll get a really nice understanding of what you're trying to show. And I, I think it really goes back to your whole point about the joy that we're trying to bring into studying languages and cultures and that, you know, one of the topics that's really big in the U.S. right now is, is this notion of audience. Right. And that so often a student creating that storybook is doing so for an audience of pretty much one, right? It's doing it for a teacher or maybe, you know, mom or dad is seeing it at home, right? And, and here you've given your students this opportunity to produce something that they know on the front end that there's an audience that's not paid to spend time with them or like contractually obligated by society to love them unconditionally. You know, that here's these other <laughs> students in the other part of the world who are legitimately curious, you know, and excited to, to see what they create. And I think that can be a real motivating factor on the creation side. And then really in an authentic way, speak to that joy piece, right? When they get feedback from the other classroom on the other side of the world that, you know, that's probably in a lot of cases more meaningful than just hearing from, you know, Miss Smith, right? Yeah, so totally. I mean, I think they got more out of that project than in, in that year than possibly anything else. If you can give your kids an audience beyond, like you say, the audience of one, the impact of that project, no matter what that project is, is going to be huge. And I don't know if you know Kelly Croy, but Kelly Croy's a, a friend of mine, another ADE who um, works in Ohio. And he always says, what we're trying to do as teachers is we're trying to create memories for our kids. Because if, you're, if your lessons are memorable, if there's something memorable, then you're going to remember everything about that. The language, how the way you felt, and, and that can have a big effect on your life and certainly the choices that you make. And I think the way that you use technology in the languages classroom is an amazing way of creating those sorts of memories. I mean, I've been so inspired by all the different generous ways you've shared your ideas, Rachel, over the years. Uh, for example, could you maybe talk a little bit about how you use GarageBand for practicing French verbs using live loops? That really blew my mind when I saw you blogging about it. I'm not a big fan of the textbook. I'm sure that probably comes across. Um, and, I, and I like to um, think of different ways that we can maybe do something that may be perceived to be a bit dull. You know, so learning grammar can be quite hard. Children can find it quite difficult to learn grammar. And all of a sudden, I think it must have been two years ago, maybe, when Live Loops came out in GarageBand, I was like, ah, okay, now we can make music really, really easily. And 
Uh, if you don't know Garage Band and you don't know Live Loops, Ga- Live Loops is it's like a grid, and each square has got a different sound that's played in a loop, and you can play a series of these these squares together, and and it easily makes music. But you can also record into these squares, so you can record voice into these squares, so you can make music and you can add voice. So all of a sudden, making a, a verb song is dead straightforward. And my students were really, really into awful rap and grime and the like. And so making, <laughs> making a rap song about the verb alley was really up their street. And again, making a really memorable lesson. They, they just opened live loops, added a column on the end and recorded je vais, I go, tu vas, you go, or, or whatever it was. Some of them made sentences, some of them did the French and then the English, and then they put their song together. Um, so they would press a column of music, it would play, they would put their voice into that, they would press another one, they put their voice into it, and all of a sudden you have this song. One that they can be very proud of, but two, because you have to really keep going over and over and over it to try and perfect your song, all of a sudden you realise, ah, I've learned the verb. Because in order to be able to record it well, you have to listen to Je vais, I go about a million times before you put that into a recording. And through a, a seemingly simple task, that boring task of learning the irregular verb ballet has suddenly been taken care of. And yeah, that year nine class certainly never forgot Je vais, I go, tu vas, you go, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Just piggybacking on that that idea of the you know where you you can use the live loops for these recordings right and just in really powerful ways capture student voice that you know another kind of thing that I think teachers can do if they're listening to this is have students record even like kind of classroom management and procedural things right like uh, in a Spanish class levanta la mano right so. All of a sudden, when a student speaks without raising her hand, instead of the teacher saying something, you know, she can just have that iPad connected to speakers and, you know, have all these pre-recorded sounds. And it's almost like, you know, the radio DJs on the morning show, right, where they have all these recorded things that they play. And I think that really speaks to your, your point about the dullness, right? And that all of a sudden we're taking something that is inherently dull, classroom management, and we're spicing it up in the target language, right? We're not leaving the target language in order to manage our classroom. You have this opportunity to take something that is just inherently dull in of classroom management and make it spiced up for students by, you know, using the target language and putting it in their own voices. And I think that, you know, what you've keyed on there is something that's really powerful and also a really light lift for somebody who's looking to try something new, that this is, you know, seconds and minutes of time to to get started on, not hours and days. Yeah, and I think that's the key to a lot of the projects. You don't want to create a project that's that's going to take four lessons to produce. You know, making a clips movie can be 15 minutes, 20 minutes at the end of a lesson once you get used to it. Making something in GarageBand, a song in GarageBand can be a lesson, two lessons at the most. Um, another nice thing you can do in GarageBand is actually you can get students to read poetry and then you can put some sound effects to that poetry. So you can get them to make very simple poems um, in French and then you can add, you can have them record that in GarageBand and then you can have them add little sounds that go with that. So they're making like again, you're not saying you're not moving away from the foreign language. The foreign language is always there, but obviously you're just making it that bit more interesting. So that's a nice that's a nice task to do as well in GarageBand. Yes, and I couldn't agree more with the fact that when you record audio, you listen to it again and again, and that really helps with the reinforcing of ideas in your head and helps you with your pronunciation. 
And if you create a script beforehand and you work in collaboratively in small groups, then that's really good as well. It's ticking all the boxes, in other words, I think, all the things we're supposed to be doing in the classroom. And I just think that that's as inspiring as ever. I appreciate that time is rolling on a little bit, though, uh, Rachel. Could we maybe talk a little bit about some other creative ideas, such as the way you have used uh, once of animation and the videos you shared on Twitter using iMotion for reinforcing the perfect tense, for example? Could you talk a little bit about that, please? So I, I like iMotion. Um, and actually, I was introduced to uh, using stop motion in the classroom by another ODE, Catherine Jesse, who's a scientist, actually. So she was using it to uh, create science animations. And I, I sort of stole the idea from her. So what we do is um, we just use a whiteboard and an iPad and stop motion, if you don't know what it is, is just a series of photographs. So you you do one thing, you take a photograph, you you move it on again and you take another photograph and eventually you've got yourself an animation. So, yeah, we use um, we use a whiteboard and a pen. We prop the iPad up. It's best if you don't move your iPad. And we use a, a an app called iMotion and the students, I leave it up to them. They have to basically they are told you've got to explain how to create the perfect tense using a whiteboard, a board pen, a board rubber, your iPad and iMotion and, and off they go. Um, so they might start with, okay, the first thing you need are some pronouns and they'll write out their pronouns and they'll put the English to their pronouns. Then they'll wipe the, the board clean again. And they might say, okay, the next thing we'll need is the verb avoir. Um, and they'll talk about the verb avoir. But, you, but the thing about iMotion is that there's no sound. So you can only write or draw. Um, and actually that limiting that creativity, or limiting that element makes them more creative. How am I going to express this to Miss? How am I going to show Miss that I understand this? I can't speak. So that, that's quite interesting. Um, so then they might do the perfect, they might do avoir or être or whatever. And then they'll explain how to make the past participles. All the while, they might write, I don't know, j'ai, take a photograph, take a few photographs, wipe it off, put equals I have, take a few photographs. And eventually that all works out as a, as a video. Now, if you wanted to add sound, you could just drop that into iMovie and add the sound on it. But actually it's quite nice to have them as silent movies and just have the kids show you exactly what they know. And that's, that's the interesting thing about using technology, that ability for the kids to be able to show what they know. And once they get used to it, you can give them the option. You know, when they're learning how to use technology, I tend not to give them the option to say, yeah, everybody's going to work in iMotion. But, you know, once they've been using it for two, three years, you can say, okay, show me, show me how to make the perfect tense. Off you go and, and leave them to it. So those animations are dead easy to do and they probably will take, you know, more than a lesson. Um, but actually they're very, very revealing because you can all of a sudden see the misconceptions. You'll play it through and straight away you'll go, actually, these kids don't realise that there's like 16 verbs that use être. They have no, not a clue. Or they don't realise that they agree in the feminine and the plural. Um, and, and the misconceptions are very clear to see. And that's a, that's a great thing about iMotion. And the fact there's no sound actually makes that even more clear. And what would you say to those people when you're talking about once about animation using iMotion? Why not just shoot a video with iMovie? Why create an animation? What does the animation add to the task, do you think, from a learning point of view? I think you have to think about it more. I think it engages different elements of your brain. I think if you're just going to shoot a video, you can you feel like you can busk it. Whereas if you have to actually show me and all you have is a pen and a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker and no sound, you really have to think about what's going to go on that whiteboard. And actually, the nice thing about it is, and generally I get the kids to work in pairs on this particular project because you need somebody to take the videos and somebody to do the writing or the drawing or whatever they're doing. And, and actually, it generates massive amounts of discussion. 
because they'll go, oh, right, okay, well, let's do, uh, let's do the uh, past participles. Right, ER verbs, that, they, they end in E, right? And no, no, it's E acute. Are you sure? Do these have an extra E on if it's a girl? And you have all that conversation about well, how, do we, how do we make this? How do we put this together? Whereas if you shoot a movie, you tend not to, unless you've really rigidly planned your lesson and said, right, okay, this week's planning week, this week's, you know, typing up your script week, this is... If you, unless you've regimented that lesson and the format of that lesson, I think with a movie, the kids will just try and almost talk their way out of it. They'll, they'll, they'll think, oh, it's okay, we'll just need to talk about it and, and it'll be fine. And, and equally, with that kind of thing, it's not as easy to pick out the misconceptions because if you're doing a, an animation and it's handwritten and they can't speak, you suddenly go, ah, oh, yeah, they don't get that. Whereas on a movie, I don't think it's quite as clear. Rachel, I just love everything you're talking about so much with the different ways that we can give students these like really tight creative constraints. And at the same time, a huge world of opportunities for where they can go with the assignment. And you know, one of the things that has me thinking is when we're employing these digital technologies into the learning, you're not just doing language learning. You're also making your class this, you know, kind of 21st century readiness class of preparing them for all these jobs that don't even exist yet in the real world. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think as soon as you introduce digital technologies into your classroom, you start to introduce those skills of collaboration and communication. I think if you're working from a textbook all the time, you tend not to get that opportunity. Um, you know, if we want them to collaborate on a keynote or a Google Doc, Google Doc then, we, then uh, that's easy, isn't it? We just say, right, okay, I want... Well, actually, me and you, Noah, we could work together like now. You're in the States and I'm here. And like we could work together straight away in five minutes. We could be on our Google Doc together or our keynote together and we could produce a fantastic thing. Now, my kids know how to do that. There'll be some other kids somewhere that, that, that don't get to do that. And also, I like to take my children outside of the classroom and work in, in spaces that aren't like behind a desk. And they learn how to control themselves, self-control, what sort of things do they need. They get to sort out their own little workstation. So they're, you know, and they sit with their mates and they get to have a conversation about that work. And that's how real work is. Real work isn't just sat behind a desk, is it? And, you know, writing all the time. I mean, just just this podcast itself. Joe's on the Isle of Wight, I'm on the Isle of Man, and, and you're sat in the US. I mean, this is not this is how people work. And it's really important for our students that they understand that. They understand that these days, pretty much anything is possible. You know, we can, if I want to find out what it's like in your hometown, then I can probably do that quite quickly. And now I've spoken to you, I can probably ring you up and say, hey, Noah, can you just come into my classroom? I'm going to put you on the big screen, fancy chatting to my kids. Then we can do that too. And all of a sudden, students realise that learning just doesn't happen with a pen, a book and a textbook. The, the opportunities are are massive. And when they go out to work and when they go to university or whatever they do after they leave us, they're suddenly going, oh yeah, I, I can tackle this, this, I've done this before. I understand how this works. And that's, like you say, that's not language learning. That's just life learning. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. And, you know, and it's, I've been just such a fanboy of yours for so many years now. And uh, it's been awesome to get to hang out with you here for a few minutes and be inspired just as much uh, in real life as in uh, Twitter land. Thank you, just Rachel, so much for the generosity of your time and genius sharing with our listeners. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Now, for those people who don't know your Twitter handle, Rachel, could you maybe share that with everybody now? Because I'm sure there'll be thousands of listeners all <laughs> over the world who will want to connect with you if they're not already. Um, yeah, I am at Lanks Last Rach. That's L-A-N-C-S. 
and then R-A-C-H. It's because I'm from Lancashire and when you shorten it in English, it shortens down to Lanx. So I'm Lanx Lass Rach. Um, so Lanx, L-A-N-C-S-L-A-S-S-R-A-C-H. And if people want to know more about your work, you've got a blog, haven't you? You've written ebooks. Could you maybe talk a little bit about those too? Oh yeah, sorry. My blog is called is um is Redefine. Um, there's a link to that in my Twitter page. Um, and also I've written some um ebooks. I've done what have I done? I've done one on sketch noting that I collaborated with with some other ADEs. I've just done one this summer, which is all about what it's called. Why not try? And and what I tried to do was I tried to make a very very short book which gave you some very quick ideas of how you could get going with technology in the classroom. I'm hoping that's the first in a series. Uh, when I get some time, I'll add the next book to give you some more ideas. And also there's stuff, uh, there's a couple of books on how to use clips in the classroom for um, MFL teachers, which is a, a personal favourite app of mine. And they're all available on the iTunes store under my name. And I can probably give you those links and you can put them in the show notes maybe. Thank you so much, Rachel. You've been, as Noah has said, an absolute inspiration. Thank you so much for being the first Tech Talk interview person on the MFL Twitterati podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Wow, Noah, we've done it. First episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast is in the can. How do you feel? I feel great, Joe. You know, and this has been such a long time coming. and It's really great that we're finally actually putting it out there for the world. Yeah, I think to be honest, Noah, the thing that I've really enjoyed the most is just hearing all those different accents and all those different contexts from the different people that have been taking part. It's been it's been a real privilege and it's been awesome. And I would love moving forward lots more people from the MFL Twitterati to contribute to the podcast via uh, via audio, via text, via Twitter, via SpeakPipe. All the details of this can be found on the website mfltwitteratipodcast.com. But um, I think that the whole idea of the podcast very much is to celebrate the voices of the languages community. And um, I think we've done it in episode one, and I can't wait for episode two to come out. And speaking of episode two, Joe Dale, what do we have to look forward to? Well, for our Tech Talk interview, we've got David Shanks, the David Shanks, uh, HF Languages on Twitter. And he's going to be talking about some theories that he's um, come across that he has found has been really useful in informing him on his practice. He's also going to be talking about some tech tools like Quizlet and Duolingo and those sorts of things. But it's all very much coming from an evidence-based standpoint, which I think is very much flavor of the month at the moment. And uh, it's a fascinating listen. So I can't wait to uh, put that out soon. Totally. It is so cool to just hear the joy in other language teachers' voices talking about what they love about teaching languages and culture. And it really, I think, gets the heart of what we're trying to do. And that, that's to put out a podcast that is by and for the MFL Twitterati community. And so for all the MFL Twitterati out there listening to this episode, we're grateful to all of you for making this happen. And we encourage you to visit the website and add your voice to future episodes. Thanks for listening. The MFL Twitterati podcast, celebrating the voices of the modern language teaching community. If you've enjoyed this episode of the MFL Twitterati podcast, please rate and review us on Apple's podcast app so more language teachers can find us. You can subscribe to the MFL Twitterati podcast on the Apple podcast app, Google podcasts, Overcast or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcast. For information, go to our podcast site, mfltwitteratipodcast.com, where there are lots of references to this episode's content and all the previous episodes too.